0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Blake Masters is the former COO of Teal Capital. He's also the co-author with Peter Teal of the book Zero to One, and he is now running for Senate in the state of Arizona. In this conversation, we talk about everything from Bitcoin to NFTs. We talk about individual rights, personal freedom, and many of the topics that Blake is running on. I really enjoyed this conversation with Blake, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is LMAX Digital, the number one institutional crypto exchange. They offer clients the deepest pool of crypto liquidity on the planet, underscored by a 100% uptime track record through volatility spikes. They leverage LMAX Group's liquidity relationships and ultra-low latency technology. LMAX Digital is the market-leading solution for institutional crypto trading and custodial services. If you've never heard of LMAX Digital, it's probably because you're not an institution. They have no retail, only institutions. They feature a central limit order book streaming spot Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash, all paired with U.S. dollars, euro, and yen. LMAX Digital, they're secure, they're liquid, and they're trusted. Learn more at LMAXDigital.com slash pomp. Again, LMAXDigital.com slash pomp. This episode is brought to you by 8 Sleep. Eight Sleep is the single best product that I have purchased over the last three years. It completely changed my life. I'm not joking. Pay attention. The Pod Pro Cover, which goes over your mattress by Eight Sleep, is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can go to eightsleep.com to check out the Pod Pro Cover, and you save $150 at checkout. They currently ship within the United States, Canada, and the U.K., now I told you, it changed my life. It helps me sleep deeper, helps me sleep longer, I feel much more refreshed, and I have better energy. You want to know how I have relentless energy every single day? Because I sleep on an eight sleep. Seriously, go check it out, eightsleep.com slash pomp today. This episode is brought to you by OKX. OKEX has dropped the E to become OKX. Founded in 2017 with a mission to deliver a cutting-edge crypto trading experience. OKX, the world's second largest crypto exchange by trading volume, has since expanded its scope alongside the wider industry, adding features from all corners of crypto. If EX is about exchange, X is about intersections. Cross chain, cross functional, cross platform, an interoperable future that's not siloed into isolated platforms and blockchains. The name change and the new look and feel represent OKX's ongoing move towards decentralized finance. With OKX's decentralized platform and Web3 wallet, MetaX, you have full custody over your crypto. Connect MetaX in your browser or within the OKX app to explore DeFi, NFTs, and play to earning gaming, the world's most powerful crypto exchange. Whether you're just learning about crypto, you're a seasoned DeFi degen, an NFT enthusiast, or a pro trader, you're all invited to a better future. Go check it out today and let me know what you think. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one.
1: Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely
0: their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion
1: expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only.
0: All right, we've got uh, Blake Masters who's going to be joining us. Uh, As I mentioned, he's the former COO of Teal Capital. He's co-author of the book Zero to One, and he's now running for Senate in Arizona. Blake, how are you? Good, Pump. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, dude. I'm super excited about this. Um, let's start first with uh, you pretty much had the opportunity to do whatever you wanted uh, in business, uh, in, in tech, etc. Why do you want to run for politics and like, how important is any individual uh, political seat in terms of actually creating some sort of change uh, in the United States?
1: I mean, I guess I intend to find out, you know, I think a, a U.S. Senate seat is enormously more powerful than most uh, U.S. senators give it credit for. Right. Just look at the cultural power of a Senate seat. Right now, you've got, uh, you know, biological men sort of you know transitioning or whatever, competing on women's swim teams. And no, none of our leaders are talking about this. Um, That's pretty crazy. You've got open borders, you've got massive inflation because the government printed, what, like six trillion dollars in the last year. And we've got a few good Republicans, I think. But like, man, not enough people are talking about this and and really uh, educating voters and helping people understand that, like the Democrat leadership in charge has failed. Um, So obviously a huge part of the job is uh, passing the right bills, blocking the bad ones. Uh, But I think just the cultural power of the seat is um, kind of under underexplored. And I'm, uh, it's true. I have a, I had a really good gig with, with Peter Thiel, you know, running his, uh, family office, but this just, this seems like the most important thing I could be doing. Arizona is a swing state. I think this Senate race that I'm in is going to determine the balance of power in the whole U S Senate. Um, and it, it's, it's just important. I feel called to do it and I know I can win and do a good job. So let's start, uh, maybe
0: with the economic, uh, kind of situation. Obviously. Uh, it seems like our debt ceiling just goes up and up and up, regardless of who the uh, the president is. Uh, but with that, we're living right now with 8% uh, inflation in the official numbers unofficially, probably somewhere in the, the teens. What's your general read in terms of uh, kind of the mistakes that have been made to get us here? And then like, what is the solution, right? I, I think part of what uh, a, a big portion of the American people, uh, they feel like politics is just arguing all the time. And I think one of the things that yeah. um, ha- has been part of your approach, which I think is uh, pretty effective, is like, hey, there's like real solutions that could be pursued, whether we do it or not is up for debate. But like, how do you think about getting out of the economic situation that we're in?
1: Right. Well, one, it is kind of hard to put the cat back in the bag here, right? Uh, the, the simplest thing we can do on the inflation front is to stop printing so much money. Um, it's it's totally unsustainable. You know, our national debt's past $30 trillion now. And I get the sense that Republicans who used to be sort of, you know, uh, hawks on this, they're not watching anymore it's 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 kind of just like well you know now you have modern monetary theory right the pseudo-academic jargon that just says oh it's you know doesn't matter we owe it to ourselves you can sort of get away with this for as long as you want and i really fear that's not true um you mentioned official inflation at eight percent yeah sure if you define the basket of goods to exclude you know food (laughs) energy right gas prices I think the real Costco basket uh, probably costs twenty to thirty percent more than it did last year, um, and so f- for a lot of people, um, you know, who opine about inflation and the opinion-making classes, inflation is just an annoyance, right, or an economic abstraction. But for so many voters that I meet on the campaign trail in Arizona, this is like life and death stuff. You know, this is this is not this is existential. Um, so you got to stop printing so much money, and and we got to get people back to work. When you start to think about things like
0: wages uh real estate prices, it feels like uh inflation obviously people think in the consumer good space, but wages haven't kept up uh also things like the cost of a home uh, the average home in America I think just cost over five hundred thousand dollars, which is you know pretty insane number when you think about what that means um is the ideas really around uh hey the government should stop printing and then like how do you think about things like financial education right and, and it feels almost i always say that like the gap between those that are benefiting in this situation and those aren't, people would like to draw the line around wealth, but really it's an education gap. Like some people know how to benefit from this environment by holding investable assets, et cetera, and then 45% of Americans don't. So how do you think about like the overlay of the education uh, uh, for personal finance, et cetera, with a lot of this?
1: I was just uh, touring a charter school in Arizona and I was blown away because they have a year-long program. The first semester is personal finance and the second semester is entrepreneurship. And, um, two things are remarkable. One, that's just a really cool program. Right. And I got to talk to some of these kids in the entrepreneurship class and, uh, you know, you could, you could just see how happy they were to be there. Right. And they were starting all these micro businesses and you start with nothing and you try to see if you can end the semester with like 500 bucks or whatever. Um, so what a valuable thing that is, but then the most remarkable thing about it is how rare a program like that is. Right. And I think in the first, so you got like, uh, 11th graders, they're listening to Dave Ramsey, you know, um, they, they've never heard any of this stuff before. They don't know what a checkbook is, let alone how to balance it um, for them, you know, and increasingly we're in a cashless society. So maybe some of them know about crypto, but mainly it's just, you know, put it on the parent's credit card and it, it, they don't, they're don't. they not acquainted with this stuff. Um, they're not learning it in school. And so I think that, that one gem of a program could be some kind of model, like bring back home ec, right? Bring back financial literacy class, bring back shop class while we're at it. Uh, but schools should be useful instead of just graduating a bunch of people that don't have any skills.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. I've got a friend who, uh, he's been rolling up a bunch of, uh, electricity, uh, or, or like electrician, uh, businesses. And okay. his whole, uh, thesis is that the trade schools aren't cranking out as many electricians. It's not this sexy job, uh, but it's a high skilled job that you basically need to be trained on. Uh, and there's, you know, probably the last thing when it comes to construction, that's going to be automated away is like, how do you do the uh, electrical work in a home? And so he's like, look, you know, basically there's going to be a mismatch of supply and demand and I'm going to go yep. buy all these businesses. So I think that there's many, you know, uh, kind of implications of this. Uh, talk to me about Bitcoin and uh, kind of the crypto market. I know that uh, that is now pretty much entered into the economic conversation uh, because it seems like there's an entire generation of kids who, you know, they might not be so interested in bonds or stocks or gold. And, uh, and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is pretty much the entire piece of their uh, their financial portfolio.
1: Well, I think it's here to stay. And I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, just non-politically, I'm I'm sort of amateur enthusiast about all this stuff. I've been into it for a number of years. Um, I used to run a program called the Teal Fellowship and Vitalik Buterin, of course, who founded Ethereum, uh, was a 2015 Teal Fellow. So we were smart enough at the time to, to recognize his talent and, and you know, welcome him into the program. I wish I was smart enough to participate in the ETH ICO, but I, I did not do that. Um, but I think this stuff is, is super innovative and, and putting a, a political lens on, I think there's even an argument, and I admit this is just a theory, I'm not sure it'll turn out this way, uh, but there's at least an argument why Bitcoin uh, specifically could be really good for the U.S. dollar. You know, usually I hear people in political discourse frame them as sort of antagonists, necessary adversaries. And you can sort of see why, right? Because, of course, central uh, bank digital or central bank currency like um, like the U.S. dollar is, is just centralized and controlled and sort of inherently inflationary. Uh, contrast to Bitcoin, obviously decentralized. No one government can, can control it. Um, non-inflationary or even deflationary. But I actually think that Bitcoin could be the one technological check on the Fed and maybe just the one check on the Fed. Like, I want to get into the U.S. Senate and provide a political check on the Fed because I think things have just gotten out of control. Uh, but what if I can't do that? Right. What if the U.S. Senate at this point just can't exercise meaningful political control over the Fed? Then wouldn't you like something like Bitcoin, um, this uncancelable digital you know, decentralized protocol? Why wouldn't that? actually just make policymakers more disciplined, because if you can print $6 trillion, well, maybe you can get away with that if you're the world's reserve currency and there's no other option. But now in Bitcoin, you have a de- investors finally have a decentralized option. Uh, and, and so my hope is, as the Fed sees now, if they just continue to print money, you're going to get tons of inflation in USD and investors are going to flock to you know digital gold. Um, not a perfect metaphor, but a decent one. Maybe Bitcoin in its very existence will Tell our policymakers, hey, you got to put on the brakes here um, and actually shore up our financial system. Again, maybe an optimistic hope, but it is my hope. Yeah.
0: Talk to me a little bit in terms of uh, when you say the uh, Bitcoin kind of market or investors uh, and their relationship to the U.S. dollar, how Bitcoin could uh, potentially help the U.S. dollar. uh, How do you think that that could work?
1: Well, simply by uh, stopping inflation. Right. Um, I don't think you can print as much money in a world with Bitcoin. If you're a central banker, if you're, if you're running the Fed, I don't think you can print as much USD a, as you could without Bitcoin, right? Um, it's, it's kind of scary to imagine a world where the US dollar is no longer sort of uh, automatically the reserve currency, but I think we're getting there. We're getting there geopolitically, um, and we're getting there technologically with Bitcoin and, and the rise of crypto. So yeah, I'm not an investment advisor, but I do think uh, you know, people should own some part of their net worth in Bitcoin. And I think when more and more people do that, and, and right now, I think cat's out of the bag, like, you know, Bitcoin is here to stay. Um, I think that could exercise a huge disciplining function on U.S. policymakers. And if not, then Bitcoin's just going to, you know, I think the dollar will eventually crash and Bitcoin or something like it uh, will be the safe haven.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about uh, big tech censorship. I know you've uh, spent a lot of time, obviously, in Silicon Valley uh, uh, talking with both employees, people who start businesses like this. And, and uh, uh, it feels like, you know, the tide has turned a little bit. And, and uh, maybe the the way that the average citizen thinks about these platforms is not the same as it was 10 years ago when they were you know considered startups and, and the darlings yep. of uh, of business coverage. How, what's the thoughts there in terms of how do we fix some of these problems?
1: They're not startups anymore. They are uh, they are so big that I think they need to be regulated as public utilities. You know, and everybody wants to freak out. Actually, very few people freak out, but it's, it's academic. It's the libertarian economic theorists. They freak out and they're like, Blake, you could not regulate Facebook. Right. Facebook's a private company You can't regulate it. And I say like Facebook may be nominally private, although functionally. Right. It's so uh, entwined with the Biden White House. The Jen Psaki just tells Facebook what to take down because that's COVID misinformation. We can't be spreading that disinformation. Uh, So Facebook's not even that private. But even if you can see that it's private, it's still so big and so powerful that I think you've got to take a look at it and recognize uh, it's not a local bakery. It's not a small or medium business. This is a global communications utility with hundreds, actually billions of people, right? Probably over a billion people on Facebook at this point. Um, And when you let a handful of multinational corporations, I think it's like the new town square, right? They control the flow of information. In a society, uh, in a real sense, when you let them just do whatever they want around election time, I really worry that you can't get a free and fair election. So I think it's crazy that they ripped off President Trump, Facebook and Twitter did. Um, They censor Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't care if you love her or hate her politics. Uh, She's still an elected official and, and deserves that platform. Uh, And shouldn't be silenced just because her views are to the right of, you know, people at Facebook or whatever. Uh, And so I think you've got to regulate these companies as common carriers, just like the phone company, right? The phone company can't listen to you and me and say, ooh, they're talking about Bitcoin. That makes us uncomfortable. Let's disconnect them. They'd probably love to do that, but they're not allowed to do that. And so why on earth shouldn't we treat Facebook and Twitter the same way?
0: Yeah. One of the things that's uh, that's fascinating to me is uh, I think it was Naval uh, maybe or, or somebody tweeted and was like, if you can silence the king, you are the king. Uh, in in terms of this thought process of like uh, at what point does power kind of coalesce uh, in a society and it used to be very much in you know the monarch days at the king or queen level uh, in other uh, types of uh, government organizations there's authoritarian leaders and and, and all this stuff but now there is uh, very much a, a deep you know collection of power at uh many of these platforms and so uh if we think about Facebook and Twitter i think that's gotten a lot of the conversation in america given its uh interaction with politics uh but if we go and we look at something like TikTok i think that that now is becoming a bigger conversation uh in this you know i don't know maybe it's like a passive competition of uh, battle, whatever you want to call it, with China uh, and the use of uh, AI and, and algorithms and this like soft power. How do you think about something like a TikTok obviously being consumed very heavily, now the most popular website in the entire world, uh, but maybe doesn't align necessarily with some of the, uh, the American way of uh, either thinking or, or trying to actually uh, roll out these technologies?
1: Yeah, I think, I think we should ban TikTok. Um, the Trump administration was close and didn't, didn't quite get it done, but I think we probably should just because it, it, uh I think all that data goes back to the CCP are uh, functionally it's accessible to them. And it's really crazy, like the scale at which we are allowing our young people, teenagers and even preteens to, um, to, to just chronicle their lives, to upload their, their faces and their behaviors and their, their backgrounds uh, to the Chinese Communist Party via TikTok, um, which they say, you know, has an American subsidiary, so don't worry about it. But no, actually it's a Chinese company. Um, I think TikTok's probably unhealthy in other ways, you know, but if it were a Swedish company, uh, I'd have way fewer concerns. Um,
0: what's the thought process? So like, let's say, uh, everyone uploads all this information. Like, what's the concern with them having it? Is it more so that uh, they build a database and they're able to exploit it in some way? Is it the programming of children's minds? I, like, just talk to me a little bit more in terms a of- A little
1: bit the latter, more the former. Like, I don't know, I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what, uh, what China is doing with this data. Um, but, I, but I bet it's not good. And to me, it seems kind of like an own goal uh, to be giving it to them. And again, the scale is just, I think, orders of magnitude more- um than than what most people think uh, so so i don't know but it just it doesn't it doesn't seem good like china is the geopolitical rival um i, I you know we're already in a cold war with china and let's pray that it, you know we sort of win that so that it never becomes a hot war in you know 10 20 30 years but they're the geopolitical rival and so to take a whole generations uh i mean literally faces expressions behaviors voices and give that over to the Chinese Communist Party, that seems a little foolhardy to me. At least we should be investigating it uh, and, and really wondering, like, hey, let's let's quantify and actually describe, like, what's the problem here? What's the solution? But you sense that the Biden administration is just uh, laissez-faire. They don't care at all.
0: Yeah. One of the things we talked about is this idea that uh, in China, they actually shut off the ability to watch entertainment content after a certain hour of the day. Uh, and pretty much you can only watch, you know, STEM-type uh, informational or educational content in the United States, you know, Hey, whatever dance, whatever, like, you know, have at it And, are, and are, in some right. way. Are you, uh, programming has like this negative connotation, but like, are you essentially corrupting minds? Right. Or, or teaching, uh, kind of just stupid stuff in comparison uh it's definitely a conversation as well
1: uh well and the chinese model doesn't work for us like we don't want to do that we don't want to say you can only play video games for two hours a day and then you have to because that's too dystopian it's it's too heavy-handed right we're not a totalitarian society or at least we we shouldn't be we're kind of inching that way obviously um but there's something there's something to that policy goal Uh, it's something to recognizing that, like, what's the, I saw a tweet the other day. It was like, your children are being indoctrinated. The question is by who and where, right? Your children are learning a religion. The question is which one and who's teaching them. Uh, and so everybody's being programmed. Young people are being programmed. And the question is, um, is there any intentionality behind it? And right now, uh, I think there's not in the United States.
0: I've got two of my brothers here. What questions you guys got? Hey, Blake, thanks for coming on. My question would just be around uh, big tech again and the, the suppression of free speech and the censorship that we've seen over the last several years. If we continue down this path, right, say nothing changes and we continue this way, what do you think the end outcome is for us?
1: I think, uh, you know, even more than the social media companies, I'm, I'm worried about banks, you know, um, right now there's some sort of a gallows humor to it. But like in two years, what if you can't like use your credit card to get a meal uh if the banks cross-reference you know your identity with your twitter feed and they're like "Ooh, you know you're politically a little bit too right for 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 our platform and then if everybody does that you know you could you could actually imagine political repression at the at the banking level right what if you've come home to find a letter saying your mortgage has been canceled because of this problematic thing you stood up for the due process rights of the january 6th trespassers um but that's sort of you know It's not what our regime uh, approves of and therefore as Wells Fargo or whatever, that's not what we approve of. And so your mortgage is canceled. Uh, That sounds kind of crazy, I admit, but like I think we're one or two years away from that. I mean, look at what happened in Canada. Right. And so the centralized banking infrastructure, uh, I think, is is pretty vulnerable to the same kind of woke takeover that we're seeing in social media. And then, you know, the sort of Fortune 500 big business more broadly. Um, And so I think getting into the U.S. Senate and writing like a financial uh, Bill of Rights um, and a digital Bill of Rights, those are two huge priorities for me. John, what do you got? Blake, thanks for doing this. Nice to meet you. My question would just be around the
0: geopolitical issues and things that are happening right now in the world. What What are your thoughts around the sanctions
1: that got levied on Russia from the U.S. and just in general? I almost wonder if it was too much right away, because then it feels like you kind of dump all those sanctions and you no longer have sanctions. I'm sure you could ratchet them up, but like kind of not. Right. The only thing to do is, is to go and actually sanction the hell out of the, the oil and gas, which Biden didn't want to do. Germany didn't want to do because it would make domestic energy prices just skyrocket. Um, but, you know, here's the thing with sanctions. They can they can be well tailored and they can get you what you want, or they can be over broad and counterproductive. And it's hard to know ex ante which you're going to get. Uh, the fear here is that these are so broad um, that you actually just push Russia, you know, totally, totally out of uh, out of any sort of relationship with the West, and you just push them into the arms of China, right? And if they develop this, uh, you know, this this um, this block with China, I think that's really bad. Yep. Uh, going forward what you wanted to do and what we still need to do is use sanctions in a in a super targeted way to try to yeah make make it hurt for Russia to have done this you know specifically make it hurt to Putin because uh, you want to give him um, you basically want to give him to the negotiating table you know you can't have this conflict escalate into World War three you want a ceasefire uh, and so so you know supplying the Ukrainians and sanctions on the other hand those are two tools that we have to force Putin, uh, to negotiate a ceasefire, and so if it's just too ham-handed, I think we'll push China, uh, push Russia into the arms of China. That's kind of counterproductive. Gotcha.
0: Blake, talk to us uh, about two other things before we let you go. The first is uh, in Arizona itself. What are some of the major issues that uh, you're hearing from citizens as you talk to them in terms of what they care about and what they want to see changed?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean the border crisis. You know, we we do have an illegal immigration crisis, and I think it's it's actually really hard to wrap your head around like the scale again it's just so much bigger than people think i think it's uh people that we know about are coming in illegally every month through our southern border well that's like 2.4 million a year um it's actually a little bit more and over four years of biden harris that's like 10 million illegal aliens uh right and so i think it's fair to call that an invasion obviously some people are just trying to to look for a better life and and don't blame them individually but it still doesn't give you the right to break our laws and then so many of them of course are carrying drugs Uh, i mean the fentanyl crisis is just out of control so people are just mad as hell uh, about the open border and it is a crisis that biden caused Um, you know it wasn't perfect under president trump but it was pretty damn good in september of 2020 those trump administration policies worked and then day one right biden cancels continuation of the border wall He, he rescinds those policies and basically invites this crisis um, and so I think that's top of mind to people. Uh, election integrity is top of mind. Inflation is top of mind. What's really crazy, I mean, crime, homicide in Tucson, my hometown is up 87% since 2019. In Phoenix, I think homicides up 50% since 2019. So there are all these issues and it's almost hard to say, well, this is more important than this because, it, you know, you could solve the border crisis, but if crime is still high, if inflation is still high, there's a sense in which things aren't working, right? You actually kind of have to solve all these problems. Um, and it's astonishing how, how rapidly things are going downhill. Yeah.
0: Talk to me also about uh, you've taken a uh, what I'll call unique and uh, what seems to be working uh, approach to the campaign trail. Uh, the videos of you standing in the uh, in the fields and uh, pretty much one shot uh, and you just delivering your message uh, seem to be pretty powerful. How are you guys thinking about uh, the way that campaigns are changing uh, and the way that you communicate as a uh, candidate to uh, to citizens is uh, evolving?
1: Just trying to do what feels natural you know um when i got in the race there was a media consultant that i interviewed who said blake we never want you to say anything unplanned and i almost thought it, i thought he was joking for a minute and then i realized oh shit he's serious like that's that is the advice that is the state-of-the-art advice that candidates pay for uh, which is why everyone sounds so plastic they sound so fake um you know and and i i just think departing from the norm right just being authentic to me like why is it innovative to just go and do a single take and look at the camera for 45 seconds and talk about a problem and a solution somehow in american politics in 2022 that's innovative um and the new york times just wrote a hit piece saying that my videos those videos you mentioned uh sound too much like tucker carlson you know so what do they prefer the the standard cliche stuff you know where there's flags waving behind me and, you know, electric guitars blaring, saying, like, America's best days are right around the corner. Um, I think people are tired of that. And, and one reason why President Trump was so powerful as a political figure was whether you liked what he was saying or you didn't, you knew that he was telling you the truth. Like, he wasn't lying. He was just saying what he thought. Uh, so I'm getting out there every day trying to say what I think, uh, let the chips fall where, where they may. And I think that's um, somehow really attractive to, to voters and why I'm getting traction in the race.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating because as we move from what I'll call like an analog type economy to a digital one, uh, the means of communication uh, is very similar. I always joke that uh, memes are just hieroglyphics in the digital world. Uh, But at the same time, uh, there's this element of authenticity really separates. And you see that uh, in business, you see it in finance, you see it obviously in politics as well. Um, And I think your point about like, whether you agree with somebody or don't, uh, the average American, I think has like a really good bullshit filter of just like, Hey, even if I hear the thing that I like to hear from this person, whether they're a business person or a candidate or whatever, but it feels like I'm being bullshitted. I do think that there's this like innate, uh, sense of just like, I I I'm good. Right. And, uh, in some way, if you really think about like, uh, the linear progression, I would actually argue that the average American is getting better at identifying bullshit. And the yep. internet's been a huge piece of that, of calling out whether it's, you know, large organizations, governments, whatever, just being like, Hey, like we're good. We we don't need the, uh, the, the kind of uh, song and dance. We, we have our own thoughts and, uh, we can expose a lot of this information. It feels like the authenticity plays into that.
1: I think that's totally right. Voters are just used to being lied to. Uh, they're pissed off about it and, and, and they just want someone who's not fake, you know? And it's like, Look at why Bernie Sanders, I think before they stole the nomination from him in 2016, look at why he got traction. Right. And I hate Bernie Sanders politics. Like he is just wrong about everything. But at least he's a little bit more honest than, say, Hillary Clinton. Right. Trump was just saying you know, the, the election that people deserved in 2016 was Trump versus Bernie, because um, at least both those guys were honest enough to say, like, hey, this what's happening right now, that doesn't work. And Bernie wants to go far left. And, and we should talk about why that doesn't work. And Trump had a much better Uh, set of solutions, but like that's more honest and that authenticity broke through it. Like listen to Bernie on Joe Rogan, right? He does not sound like Hillary Clinton, who's perfectly practiced and polished and manages to say nothing at all.
0: Yeah. I, I tend to, uh, to think of this as like, uh, also we're getting a, um, a huge swath of people and I would put myself in this, which is like uh centrist independent. I want to make my own decision on each individual thought. Whereas maybe uh, my parents or my grandparents, it was very much like you vote with the party line regardless. Uh, yeah. internet has some impact on that. Uh, but if you take that view, it's like, you know, take maybe AOC and Trump, there's Almost no overlap at all in any sort of uh, political position or thought process but they both understood how to use digital platforms they both were super authentic in terms of they at least said what they believed uh and you can see that they built these bases of individuals who say hey look that's the candidate that you know I want to back whether it's for whatever race so I, I definitely think this is the world uh where the uh, the world is going at least uh before we let you go uh, one of our sponsors is uh, eight sleep what's uh, what's your sleep schedule in terms of uh, i know you're running around the whole country basically what's that been like and how's that changed from uh being more in the business tech world to uh, to now in the political race
1: yeah, it's uh it's pretty crazy. I'm hanging in there probably about 6 hours average uh a night. A lot of hotel rooms which is not so good. I wish they had the the eight-sleep beds in the hotel rooms. They don't. Um I also have a 2-year-old, and so it's, you know, when you have small children, your sleep is totally uh dependent on whether they choose to have a good sleep <laughs> or not. So it's a mess, but uh I'm a big fan of of eight sleep, yeah.
0: Blake, I I got a 4-month-old daughter and like oh, well. I used to hear people say like, "Oh, small kids sleep whatever." Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> it's like a whole yeah. new education, right? Yes. Yes. Hang in there.
1: Yeah, Hang that's all there. right.
0: Um, awesome. Where can we send people to find you on, uh, on the internet or find
1: out more about uh, the campaign and, and what you guys are doing? Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, people can go to BlakeMasters.com, which is my campaign website. We also have uh, a cool NFT offering right now. You can go to ZTONFT.com, release some NFTs relating to the uh, the book, Zero to One, that Peter Thiel and I wrote together. So ZTONFT.com and uh, blakemasters.com. And thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. So blakemasters.com and then Z-T-O-N-F-T.com is where yep. uh, they can go get the NFTs with the book. Yes, sir. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for uh, for taking time to do this. And uh, we'll definitely have to bring you back after you win your, uh, your Senate race.
1: Sounds good. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, well, later, thanks, buddy. Man.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.